This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. I hope you're having a great Monday night. We got a national championship basketball game tonight. Uh, starts pretty late, isn't it? like after nine o'clock. I mean, these these late start times really uh, get on my nerves, right? I mean, conveniently enough for me, I'm doing my show tonight, but I don't understand it. I mean, I don't think it's good for the sport. I I guess you pull in the West Coast, but I don't know. You lose a lot of the kids from the Eastern time zone and Central, littler kids, smaller kids that, that might want to watch and see a program that has level five uh, violations and bill self from an FBI and a, a program that has systemic academic cheating like North Carolina. All right. All right. So I sound a little grizzled, a little bitter, but honest to goodness, Kansas and North Carolina, and, and these are absolute blue blood programs, but they're also programs that have gone to incredible lengths, illegal rule breaking lengths to stay on stop top in the sport and me is just like an outside, like cynical outsider. And I didn't do a bracket, full confession. If I did a bracket, I might have a rooting interest, but I didn't. And I don't. And I'm kind of like, crime pays, crime pays. Look, this is these are two programs here that have been guilty of incredible, incredibly uh, heinous uh, violations, you know, in comparison to a program that tries to, you know, and he, so here we are. You know, watching Georgia try to and Tom Crean in a rowboat try. Well, we're not going to do that. Okay, well, you're going to sink, and Georgia has sunk. And I want to wait and see what Mike White can do if he can change the culture enough where people are going to want to put money in, and and now you got to pay for players. So I guess that's my little beginning on basketball. I don't think I've, I don't even know how many minutes you could probably total minutes I've watched of the NCAA tournament maybe. 15 just haven't had time right focused on georgia spring football because this is where we're at right you cover georgia defending national well last year's national champion i want to say defending or kirby will get all uptight because they aren't defending anything they're trying to scale the mountain again and he wants to create that mindset and hearing how the scrimmage went uh talking to four or five people that were there um, a couple of parents that have been in the program for a while, uh, a couple of boosters that have gone to several scrimmages as well as practices to kind of get a read and a feel for where George is at. Now, I'll just start out by saying it's incredibly difficult as a reporter to try to give a take on something that you didn't see firsthand. There's times when you have to rely on sources that have information that you do not have access to. This is unfortunate to me. I mean, I really wish college football would sit at the big boys table like the NFL where reporters go watch practice. There really aren't any secrets. I really don't understand it at this point when parents and boosters can and do put things out on social media. The end result is there's a lot of stuff out there. And I'll give you an example. So I was talking to somebody about quarterback stats. You know, I saw these numbers and this guy threw three and this guy. Listen, there weren't that many touchdowns thrown in 11 on 11. Now, there may have been on the seven on seven periods or in the goal line periods, but in the 11 on 11 periods, Vandergriff had three touchdowns, Beck had one, and Bennett had one in 11 on 11. 
but it wasn't broken down evenly. That's the other thing you got to remember. You know, Vandergriff had a touchdown with the ones, but he also had a touchdown with the twos and with the threes. And not all touchdowns are created equally. Obviously, who's on the other side of the ball? What's the scenario and what is the situation? Because these coaches control what's going to happen in the scrimmages. They control the play calls on both sides. They know what should work, what shouldn't work. And sometimes they want to put a quarterback in a position to fail, just as sometimes they want to put a safety in a position to fail. That's why it's so hard to make a read on scrimmages based on numbers or stats that you may have heard. Now, who looked good, okay? That you can give the eyeball test to. I can tell you from the little bit of practice I saw last week that Eric Gilbert looks like the eighth wonder of the world out there. I mean, we all saw how big Darnell Washington looked out there. Eric Gilbert has that same effect, number 14. Look at this, you're going, oh my gosh, this guy towers above everyone. He's big, he's physical. I mean, he looks like the character you would create if you were playing the video game, just like Darnell. I mean, these are, if Georgia can keep Darnell Washington and they have Darnell Washington and Eric Gilbert and Brock Bowers, the world has never seen a tight end room like that. Let me tell you, I don't even know how you match up with the jumbo jumbo, right? Because they're not out there to be jumbo blockers. These are guys that can run past you. You've got to match up with 6'4", 235 Bowers. He's the small one. Then you got Darnell at 6'7", 265, and, and Eric, who looks like uh, Kirby says they want to get him to lose weight, but he'll be down at least 6'7", 250. I mean, how do you cover these guys? If you're a defense, you got to go, wait a minute, scrap everything we know. You might be playing a 4-4 a four, four or a 2-5. Or a, a I mean, you got to get some linebackers and some really big safeties out there. And it's just kind of fun to think about the sort of offense that George could have. It comes back to personnel though, right? If there's a takeaway when we talk about next year's Georgia football team, you've got to understand that it's going to be built around the personnel, not the other way around. It's not like, oh yeah, we saw what they did this year and it's going to be like that next year. Maybe not. Like, for example, defensively, one thing I've noticed is Will Muschamp Look, looking like he's working a lot more with the secondary. My 50 cent takeaway from that, and Kirby's never said it, and he wouldn't say it. He would tell you they're multiple and they do it every year. But I wonder if maybe Georgia will be more of a zone team on defense to maybe hide that secondary. You really don't have any good cover, proven cover guys. Keely Ringo's really not a good cover guy. He had a lot of trouble in coverage last year. Yes. He did make the interception and have the oil painting moment. And there was some irony to that. Just as people would point out the first touchdown of the year and the last touchdown of the year being scored by the secondary, which was by far the weakest of the different uh, units on defense. There was some irony to that. It was a byproduct of the pass rush. Okay. You're not going to have that pass rush. So your secondary is, is going to have to hold up more in man covered longer in man coverage. I remember Lewis Seen and Chris Smith would tell us a lot last year that they had to go back to the lab and do some work. And that's what they called it when they would correct their mistakes from the game and then take it to practice Monday, Tuesday to correct them. They said there were a lot of mistakes in the secondary, but we just didn't see it because that front seven was so doggone good. I think the front seven is going to be good. 
I don't think it's going to be as dominant as it was last year. Now, certain games it will be. There'll be matchups where I think Georgia can dominate, but I don't think they're going to dominate the number of opponents that they did last year. And I think you're going to need a little bit more step up from your secondary, and I'm not sure you've got it yet. And you're definitely going to need more step up from your offense. I think I read her, Georgia's average starting field position was their own 40. That's incredible. That's a byproduct of the defense. I don't think you're going to have as good a starting position, field position this year as you did last year. And that's going to limit your playbook. There's certain things a lot of coordinators won't call till they get outside their 20 or outside their 30. That 40, you start to kind of get in that fun zone. The defense is really on their heels. They got to be ready for anything. I think George is going to be challenged offensively more next year in the passing game. I don't think it's going to be as efficient in the passing game. I like the run game a lot. Part of it is those formations we talked about, two or three tight end looks. I think George is going to be a very physical team. I really like this offensive line. And I think that could set up some play action. But I'm a little concerned about the receiving core. I heard A.D. Mitchell did not have a good scrimmage. It's one scrimmage. I'm not throwing AD under the bus, not saying anything his coaches didn't already tell him, I'm sure. Conversely, Don Blaylock had a great scrimmage. But again, are we talking about ones on ones? Are we talking about twos on twos? For example, the big catch and throw that everybody was talking about was Carson Beck to Don Blaylock. Well, did that happen against the twos or the ones or the threes? What was the scenario? How vanilla was Kirby keeping it on defense? I've covered other teams where it was set up expressly for the offense to have success, to give the offense some confidence, and they would make the defense not blitz and not do shifting fronts. So we really don't know how vanilla this was because we didn't see it firsthand. Now, there's some blogs out there, and some may have it right and some may have it wrong. Uh, I went with the things that I was certain of and did a story on it. I heard uh, Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton both looked good. Um, Kendall had a couple of catches, touchdown catches. One, uh, a really nice catch in coverage from Brock Vandegrift. Uh, Kenny McIntosh also looked good. Kenny, a cutback runner. I think Georgia defenders are, are very savvy as to how Kenny runs, so they're not going to be as apt to overrun the play as teams that he'll play against on Saturdays. Kenny's a dangerous slasher and cutback runner. I think he's going to have a really big year. And Kendall also, what I noticed about Kendall is he came in big and strong, but he looks a little leaner to me. It looks like he's almost slender. I don't know if he's maybe grown an inch or he's cut it down a little bit, but I think Kendall wants to be that dual threat out of the backfield, just like Kenny. And, and I really look at it as one A and one B and one B and one A and, 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 you know, thunder and lightning, whatever you want to call it. I'm really excited about these two guys running 1A and 1B. And, and then I, and then I keep hearing, you know, so much about Dejan. And Dejan looked good in the garbage time end of the game. But, hey, he still broke some runs, every, even though everybody in the stadium knew he was running. So, you know, I made the argument, I made the comment that Georgia could reclaim RBU. And I, I did that. I wrote that today. And, and some people said, what do you mean they can reclaim it? They never lost it. Well, newsflash, yeah, they did. Georgia ranked sixth in the SEC last season, and there hasn't been a consensus first team running back that's been all SEC under Kirby Smart. You got to go back to Nick Chubb to find the last Georgia running back that was a consensus first team all SEC back. So the running game has been 
good to very good with DeAndre Swift, but it hasn't been supreme. And I wonder with this offensive line and the size we're talking about with, with Broderick Jones and Xavier Trust and, and, and Cedric Van Pran, don't know if Tate Ratledge will be back for the opener. Uh, I, I know Warren Erickson was a team captain. He's back. Warren McClendon. I mean, there is a lot of soldiers back on that off and some great depth. Devin Willick, Micah Morris coming up and coming on from all indications. You wonder where Marius Mims fits in. We'll talk a little bit more about that the second half of the show when we get into some of the concerns. But as far as the scrimmage report, I think Stetson started out as the number one. Uh, I know he did in the team drills the first couple of drives, and then it was Beck and it was Vandegrift. I read a little bit into that. Remember, this is a scrimmage with parents and 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 players' parents and boosters. And, and if Kirby's going to make a quarterback change, I don't think he's going to do it on that stage. I don't think right now there's any decision made. I, I think it's Stetson Bennett until otherwise noticed, otherwise noted. Uh, we know that Kirby has challenged Stetson on and off the field because there's a big leadership vacuum. Um, how serious is he about it? I Only Kirby knows that. I don't think I'd want to get into a game of chicken with Kirby Smart um, because he's pretty desperate to win, and I don't think he cares who you are if you're between him and a potential championship. I think he'll step on you. Uh, that said, I think Stetson's going to come around. Um, I've, I've heard that he had a pretty decent scrimmage, had a couple of nice scrambles, had some nice throws. Some other throws not as good. Beck has looked good. Beck has got a strong arm. Beck is very athletic. Beck is very capable. Beck knows the playbook well enough, I think, to give you everything in it. Maybe not with the experience level of Stet, but enough that, that I don't think that Todd Munkin would feel like he would have to be narrowing his playbook. Vandergriff's getting it. To me, Vandergriff is, is physically the most imposing of the guys. I think he's the best runner. Uh, I like the certainty in his throws. I think he's consistent, but I think Brock is still learning. I mean, this is a three-dimensional game, and it takes time. We we tried to explain that with Justin Fields. People didn't understand it, you know, and, and Justin's an NFL quarterback. Same thing with Brock Vandergrift. It takes a while to get the timing and the nuances down, even though you're doing it every day. But Vandergrift's a great student of the game, and I think Georgia has three great options. Gunnar Stockton, no. Okay, not this year. He needs to grow into this offense. He needs experience. And I see it happen every year. Everybody writes about how great these guys are. They're senior year of high school. And some fans never really kind of know the secret. Like, yeah, but they're really not ready for college in that way. It's different at this level, right? And that's what Gunner's going through. That doesn't mean he's not going to be a great quarterback. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a high ceiling. Obviously, he does. But lower the expectations. He's wearing the same number as a Rick Gilbert. If that tells you anything, you're not going to have two 14s on the field at the same time. So I suppose if worse came to worse, Gunner could change his number, but that's a pretty good indication to me that he's going to be red shirted this year. That would be my thought on that. I mentioned McIntosh and Milton, Dejan Edwards. We talked about the scrambling ability of Stetson Bennett, Carson Beck also with some nice runs and Blaylock coming off the two knee injuries, uh, the pulled hamstring. This is a nice scrimmage, but listen, I got to tell you, I'm not all in on Dom yet. It's going to take time. It takes time. One scrimmage is encouraging, but Dom needs to get more physically developed. I've seen him. He's not as thick as he needs to be yet. This is a guy who's been through a lot in two years. So what I would say is be encouraged 
be happy for him, be thrilled for him, be respectful of him in the comeback, but temper the expectations. I don't think you're looking at a 1,000-yard 50-catch receiver here. I think A.D. Mitchell uh, is probably still your top receiver. I think Brock Bowers is still your number one target. And we'll see what the future holds. Ferry Eric Gilbert, another guy on the comeback trail, Kirby says, has to work in sh- to get his conditioning up even more. And you know the bar is set high with Kirby Smart. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. I've hit my first half break. I want to take a break right now. And I want to thank my sponsor, Ingles. And I want you to watch this message from Ingles. When we come back, we're going to talk about some of the concerns for Georgia football. Some of the things Kirby's got to get dialed in on the second half. But right now, let's take a moment and recognize Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. Community Strong Ingles. Thank you, Ingles, once again for the sponsorship. And, folks, hope you're enjoying uh, tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment, trying to dissect, take apart the scrimmage. Scrimmage one, the first scrimmage of the spring. There'll be another one next Saturday. And then, of course, the G-Day game on the 16th. We'll see what happens. That'll be a nationally televised game, uh, ESPN2. I believe there's only two teams that are having their scrimmages televised live Georgia, and I think USC with Lincoln Riley is the other one. And if you're Kirby Smart, what do you want to show the country? I mean, I'm not talking about hiding plays. But if you are Kirby Smart and you could write a script for what you wanted the nation to see of Georgia football in that G-Day game, because believe me, they do write the script. Are you going to show a lot of points? Because remember, Kirby's a defensive-oriented coach. How much of the run game are you going to show? See, I think Kirby is going to show people what they want to see. I think you're going to see fireworks and more offense in that spring game than you're probably going to see all year. That's what I think. I I think he's going to want to minimize the run plays, the potential for injuries, and I think he's going to maximize a lot of backups playing, uh, playing quarterback, uh, and a lot of offense. That's what I think you're going to see. I don't think you're going to see a true – knockdown drag out scrimmage like they had Saturday or like they may have next week. Uh, All indications, no major injuries out of this last scrimmage. Not really sure when we're going to talk to Kirby again. Could be tomorrow night, could be Thursday, could be next Saturday. He's the boss. He'll let us know. Until then, we'll all speculate and wonder. So at this point in the program, I told you that I would talk about some concerns. And I don't know that I consider them concerns because I understand what has to come here. All right. There needs to be some attrition. When you look at the Georgia scholarship numbers, you're over. You got to get under. And that means some players have to leave the program. And they're going to be good players. You've already lost some good players. Owen Condon, you saw offensive lineman. He was a starter at the beginning of the 2020 season. He's at SMU right now. You're going to lose somebody else on the offensive line, and there's a chance Georgia could lose Marius Mims. Nobody wants to hear that. This is a five-star 
uh, homegrown product. Everyone loves them. Some Amarius Mims. He's a giant. He looks great in uniform. But will he stick it out if he's not a starter when he could go somewhere else and start right away? And that's tough to ask a guy of that size and stature and celebrated nature to stick around another year as a backup when he could go to another SEC school, maybe even Florida, and start right away. That's tough. I would put him on that watch list. Don't want, look, I see the messages. Full stop, Mike. I get it, Kirby's visor. I'm not advocating it. I'm not saying this should happen. I'm just waving the flag saying this could happen. You already know that Darnell Washington is a guy that maybe, possibly could go somewhere else. You know these things, right? And it's it's unfortunate, but it's also a reflection of how well the other players are playing. Xavier Truss has really stepped up, and he's been in the program a few years. Devin Willick is a guy that Kirby Smart chose to send out to talk to the media. Does that mean he's ahead of Mims? I don't know, but I do think that was curious. Warren McClendon's done a great job at right tackle. He's a former uh, freshman All-American and looks like an All-SEC type. Broderick Jones has fulfilled his immense potential. Can't wait to see Broderick as a guy that I think is All-SEC. I think he's going to be a preseason All-SEC pick at left tackle. I think he's going to be a postseason All-SEC pick. And I think Broderick Jones could be a guy that Georgia tries to talk into staying another year to be a top five or top ten pick. But he will be a guy who will probably be NFL ready after this season at left tackle. Same with Cedric Van Prant, who I believe is better than Trey Hill. Trey really a guard that played center. Cedric is all center. I think Cedric Van Prant could be an All-American if Georgia wins enough football games this year. Georgia will win 10 or 11 in the regular season, in my opinion, based on the level of competition, because they're going to get they're going to be playing some teams that I think have narrowed the gap. And it's not because Georgia is just, you know, not as good. A, it's just Georgia lost so much. 14 guys went to the NFL combine. That doesn't count John Fitzpatrick and Julian Rochester. Those are some gamers. Those are 16 players. You lost some big-time weapons. I don't need to tell you what, how important George Pickens was at his best, and I probably don't need to tell you how important that front seven was. Think about this. If Adam Anderson doesn't get suspended after the Florida game, six of your starting front seven have first-round potential. That's amazing, right? I mean, because I think Jalen Carter will be a first-round pick after this year, don't you? Nolan Smith, maybe, Okay. There is a lot of talent. And you lost a lot of those guys. Devontae Wyatt, Jordan Davis, Trayvon Walker. First round, first round, first round. Nicobe Dean, first round. Adam Anderson would have been a first round. That's five of your seven first round picks not on the team next year. And then you lose Lewis Saint, who I just absolutely love. I, I hope some NFL team is smart enough to jump on Lewis Saint early, if not the first round, the second round because I think he's incredible. Darren Kendrick came along and did a very good job. I'm not going to put him in the league with Stokes or Campbell, but he's not too far off, and he is gone. So there's a lot of holes to fill. There's a lot of roles to fill. And, yes, Georgia does have a couple of number one recruiting classes to draw from, but these are guys who haven't had to do it at this level yet. Not saying they can't, not saying they won't, 
but it's not a sure thing. Now, some people look at the numbers from last year offensively. Mike, our offense was this efficient. We scored this many. You throw that out the window because your starting position, as I hinted at in the first half of the show, it's not going to be the same. You're not going to be playing with as big a lead. You're not going to have that dominant defense that holds a guy like Bryce Young to one touchdown. Not going to happen. There will be a level of drop-off. Now, how much? I don't know. So you need the offense to pick up the slack because you got your quarterback back. So that's why Kirby Smart is leaning on Stetson Bennett because Stan here isn't good enough. He needs Bennett to take his game up a notch and his leadership up a notch. We talked about this, guys. There were 18 game captains last year. 18. 18. Now, there's only 22 position starters and a kicker and a punter. That means 24. Essentially, two-thirds of your starters – did I say that right? No, no. Do the math better here, Mike. Three, four, 75% of your starters last year were team captains. It's pretty hard not to be a team captain. Stetson Bennett was not a team captain. That is a red flag. That tells me he needs to win the respect of his teammates. I know what the narrative was. I know what Nolan Smith said. I know what Kirby Smart said. But I also know that he wasn't voted the team captain. That's pretty hard to do if you're a quarterback. JT Daniels was the captain the first game. So who was? You may want to know, well, who were the team captains? And uh, I actually wrote about that. I mentioned the team captains because I think it's significant. I, I think it shows um, I'll start with the four guys that were team captains that are coming back. Nolan Smith was a team captain. Christopher Smith was a team captain on defense. On offense, uh, Karis Jackson was a team captain. And who was the other? Warren Erickson. That's it. Those are the four guys that are back that are being team captains. So that's why Kirby, I believe, is leaning so hard on Stetson. And I believe that's why he's raising the bar. Kirby knows what a championship program looks like. He won four national championships on Nick Saban's staff. And he could have easily won the 2017 championship at Georgia. I still think they got robbed in that. don't even think Alabama should have been in the playoff. And then last year's team, he built the champion. So Kirby Smart knows the makeup of a championship team. He understands that there's a lot of holes to fill. He also knows that it's a process and we shouldn't be sitting here two weeks in with all the answers, right? It's, it's normal to, to be sitting here and say, you know what? There's a lot of questions about this team. That's normal. That's, that's how it should be right now. But some of these questions can't be answered by looking at last year's stats sheet. Okay. Because last year doesn't apply. It really doesn't. Things have changed. Everything changes. One player, Jake Camarda, not being back is a big change. Now, the Thorson kid, he, he may be, may, he might slide right in and do a great job. But Jake Camarda was easily one of the top two or three punters in the country and flipped field position with regularity. He was so key and so clutch. And I know many of you remember early in his career, that wasn't the case with Jake. He had to work into that rock-solid superstar punter his senior year. We all saw the shank against Notre Dame, you know, an issue here against Florida. When it was money time this year, Jake Camarda was big. That's gone. And that punter is a lot of hidden yardage, right? And that defense, again, a lot of hidden yardage with the field position that they turned over. A luxury that your offense didn't have to play from behind. When it did, 
things got scary against Alabama in the SEC championship game. I'd go so far as to say that offense was exposed in the SEC championship game. To the credit of the Bulldog defense, you didn't need the offense to put up that many points in the next two games against Michigan or Alabama because that defense played lights out. So there's still some components to the team. Now, it should be better. This is year three of Todd Munkin. Let's remember that they didn't shift into this tight end look with Stetson in, in earnest until, what, JT came out of the Vanderbilt game, which was the fourth game of the season. Even against Arkansas, I think there was only nine or 11 passes thrown. So really, you only saw this version of the Georgia offense the second half of the season. You've got the entirety of the spring to groom it as well as working into next year. And Stetson, as the number one, continues to get the majority of reps, even though Carson and Brock are also getting work. So, yes, this should get better, provided Stetson does what he's supposed to do, as Kirby Smart has called out. This was not created by the media. This was not created by the fans. The head football coach chose to make this an issue. There is a reason for everything Kirby Smart did. Sending a message because Kirby knows he needs more at that position. And he needs it from Stetson because Stetson's been there and done it. He's a 24-year-old man. He's not a boy. He'll be 25 in October. That's grown man stuff. And they need Stet to be that grown man leader like Jake Fromm was. Jake was that guy. Jake was that guy you could point to. And some people will say, well, he wasn't. Jake Fromm was a hell of a college quarterback. I'm going to tell you, he made the right decisions. He represented, and he was every bit the team leader you wanted at every turn. And that's what that's where the bar is set, right? That Jake Fromm level in terms of leadership. And, and I think Stett can do that, and I think he will. That would be my prediction. So those are my thoughts on the spring scrimmage. My thoughts on the concerns, potential big name transfers. Like I said, you got to lose some guys. You know, you got to lose some guys just to get to the number. And also, Georgia needs to pick up some guys out of the portal. They do. Uh, you know, losing Jermaine Burton was a blow. And, and I wrote about that. And some fans got sticky, ugly, whatever you want to say. Look, man, Alabama has put four receivers in the first round of the NFL draft the last two years, and they're going to put another one this year. Flat out done a better job than anybody in the country with receivers. It is what it is. Georgia's done a great job with linebackers, right? Schools do. Burton wants to go in a high-volume offense. They're going to throw the ball more. Bryce Young is the best quarterback in the nation, hands down. Going to the combine, they're all telling me that if Bryce Young and Will Anderson would have been draft eligible, they'd have been two of the top five picks. These cats are good. The Georgia defense did an unbelievable job making Bryce Young look human. Not many other people did. I sat there and watched the Auburn game, and this cat's down to the last minute and a half at his own three-yard line in the biggest rivalry of the year against the team selling out, and Young goes 13, 14 plays, 97 yards, cool as a cucumber. To watch what Georgia's defense did to him, tip your cap to the Georgia defense, but don't say that Bryce Young ain't one heck of a quarterback. Because he is. He's legit, man. And there's a reason why Burton wanted to go play in an offense. It is what it is. You can't be everything. Brock Bowers was an All-American sensation, arguably one of the greatest tight end seasons we've witnessed. He was the freshman of the year over the Ohio State quarterback in his video game numbers. Freakish numbers. 
But a byproduct of that was that your receivers on the perimeter didn't get as much work. That's not how the offense is built with Stetson. He throws a good deep ball off play action, but he's not that intermediate deep route thrower, and he gets in trouble over the middle. So you keep it simple, right? You keep it simple short, and then you hit him over the top on the play action. That's what this offense is. It's it's beautiful. There's nothing not to like about it, but you have to understand there's some variables that will be strengths, and there's going to be some weaknesses. And one of the weaknesses is that your perimeter receivers aren't going to catch as many passes, and that's Jermaine Burton. So he went somewhere where he would. Now, I think Georgia will get a receiver coming in. And Georgia has. Remember 2019, Lawrence Cager came in here. I don't know that you beat Notre Dame or Florida without Lawrence Cager. Remember that? Eli Wolf came in to play tight end. Had the game-clinching catch against the Gators. You've had some guys come in and help you. Trey McKitty, you didn't get a lot out of him. He was injured. Still went in the third round. That was a quality intake from Florida State. It was unfortunate he hurt his knee. But Georgia's had guys come in. Eric Gilbert's going to come in and give you a lift, right? He was a transfer. So the door swings both ways, but you're going to lose more than you get. And the reason why is because Georgia does such a great job recruiting and building the players that they recruit. And that's that's plan A, is to do it with the guys that you recruit and develop because those are program guys that understand and have been a part of the culture for years and years and years. Not to say that someone coming from the outside in can't adjust to your culture, right? But for the most part, you want to grow from inside out with the recruits. And that's why in a program like Georgia, where you have so many levels of talent stacked on one another, like the offensive line, there's just such a glut. We were talking with Centel and Connor uh, B.A. the other day. I mean, Georgia's second team line would start at probably 90 percent of the schools in the country and their third teamers could probably start and half the schools in the SEC someplace. <laughs> so, you know, but one of the byproducts of that is that you're going to have kids that are good enough to play at other schools that aren't playing here and they're going to make that deal. Now, before anybody tells me that players are selfish and that and that it's wrong because this angers me. I know Terrence Edward has spoke on it, and I really want the Georgia fan base to get there. I think it's a sophisticated fan base. I think it's a savvy fan base. <clears throat> I think it's an educated fan base. <clears throat> and I want to help you with this because this is a change in college football with this one-time transfer and NIL deal. Okay, the rules have essentially changed. If you're going to be mad that Jermaine Burton is going to Alabama, then you better be mad that Kirby Smart coached next to Nick Saban for nine years and beat Georgia. You better be mad at Kirby for that because he could have come back here a lot earlier. In fact, he did. He came back on Mark Rick's staff and he left. Were you mad at Kirby? No, you weren't. Well, that's different. No, it's not different. Kirby went where his money was at and where his future was at when he coached at Alabama for nine years, when he could have come back here and coached with Mark Rick instead. You, you can't you can't have it both ways. <clears throat> we all say, oh, Dan Lanning, happy for Dan Lanning. Wish him the best of luck. Dan Lanning left Georgia and he's going to Oregon. He's going to try and beat him on September 3rd. Are you mad at Dan? No. Well, he's a coach. It's, diff it's not different. Okay. That's what's changed. It's not different. The players are in college. And yes, they love Georgia or they love Alabama. Or they love Tennessee or wherever they're at. I love my job. You love your job. You're there because you want to be. But they're there in college, most of these guys, 
to play at the professional level. And so they've chosen George on the front end because they want to be developed into professional football players. They want to practice against the best. They want to be coached by the best. And they want to go to a good school with a great football environment. Well, I got a newsflash for you. George is not the only school with a good coaching staff in a great football environment. There's a lot of places, most places in the SEC. When they came here, there was a plan. There was a path for them to be used a certain way. At some point, things may have changed. They may have gotten injured and gotten derailed. The coach that recruited them may have left. A player from behind may have come in and proven better than them. And that path is no longer there. So they have to assess this from year to year and ask themselves, am I still in the best place to attain my goal to play in the NFL? And if the answer is yes, they stay. And if the answer is no, then they leave. But here's the good news. If Kirby really wants to keep them, he will. Because Kirby can change the path. Kirby can change the depth chart. Georgia can get a kid an NIL deal to pay him more money. If Georgia really wants to keep these players between the head coach and the NIL money, they can. Very rarely does a guy leave and Georgia's done everything they can to keep him. Most of the guys that leave, Kirby can only go so far. How do I know this? I've talked to the parents of the players who've left. The kid goes in there. He sits across from Kirby Smart. Coach, I'm thinking about leaving. Kirby's going to tell him, hey, you know, here's what I think we could do next year. Here's where I think you're at. Sorry, coach. I've already made up my mind. School X has already told me they're going to do A, B, C, and D, and you're only going to do A and B. And yes, they're leaving teammates, but teammates understand it, right? They get it. They get why a guy like Jermaine Burton, who'd kind of been passed by Lad McConkey, if you watch the warm-ups, uh, why Jermaine Burton would be heading out. It is what it is. If Jermaine had some injuries here, maybe somewhere his luck will be better, somewhere else. They don't maybe block as much on the perimeter at Alabama as they do here. So my point is this. I, I don't think Georgia fans should be dissing the kids that transfer out. I think they should understand and recognize, you know what? He gave us a shot. We were his first choice. For whatever reason, it didn't work out. And that's an option that that player has now. It doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't like George. Remember Jermaine Johnson? You know, I talked with Jermaine Johnson at ACC Media Days. And I'll be honest, when Jermaine left Georgia, I said, man, he's crazy. You know, but but he wanted all these snaps and he wanted the All-American year and he wanted to be the and, – and at Florida State, he had that opportunity and he killed it. He did a great job. He was – I think he was the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. I think he led their league in sacks. But Jermaine came on, and you saw the videos. He's still rooting for the dogs. He said they were going to beat Clemson. He's the biggest Georgia fan out there, you know, right? You know, and I'm asking him, well, do you have a favorite? Yeah, he says George is going to beat Clemson. He said this in the ACC media day. He didn't have anything to gain by that, right? But he still loved his teammates. They still loved him. Now, when he went to the Senior Bowl – other people said, well, you know, they want to see what he does against SEC players because he played in the ACC. So, yeah, there's a, there's something to lose there, too. But I, I just think that the game has changed enough now where we have to rethink. I've had to rewire my brain on some things. Now, I do this every day. I talk about it every day. I, I talk with boosters. I talk to player parents. I talk with coaches. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I keep up with the game. And so I'm a lot closer to what's happening 
with the rules changes. And, and my brain has been rewired since last summer. I had to start thinking about it different because this isn't the college football that I covered the first 29 years of my career. OK, everything changed last summer. The rules. Imagine you sit down to play a game of Monopoly with your kids and and the rules change. And instead of landing on properties and having to pay somebody, they pay you. You go, wait a minute. That's not the way we played the game. All the Well, it's changed. Right. Essentially, the monopoly rules have changed in college football and it's mind blowing and it's hard to accept and understand. But do yourself a favor and accelerate the process and know it's not going back. It's only going to be I'm going to say this word exasperated. No, I never say that word right. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> That's what I'll say. So before I go, I want to take a look at um, your comments. Uh, and see what you got to say. Uh, did Florida hire a Nick Saban kit coach? Kirby Visor, yes. My comment, which has just raised the ire of all these Florida fans, um, is I said that Kirby hired, or excuse me, Florida hired the Nick Saban starter kit. And they've gone berserk on me. Uh, listen, I didn't say it was a bad hire. I just said you went and hired a guy because he worked for Nick Saban. I'm going to be honest with you. Again, I, I tell you, I cover football and I stay on top of it. I didn't know who the hell Billy Napier was before Florida hired him. He's not like he was some household name. Not like Kirk Kerbstreet was going, oh, and who's going to get Billy Napier this year? I, who, where? Louisiana? What? Billy Napier? Who's that? What did he do on Saban's staff anyway? I don't know. What? He, for all I know, he got coffee. I, that's what Dabo did. Listen, when I covered Alabama in the 90s, and I love to tell the story because this is so true. When I covered Alabama in the 1990s, and you guys get say, oh, here goes Mike, waxing poetic about Gene Stallings again, only because he's a throw, only because Kirby is a throwback to Gene Stallings. There's a connection there. But when I covered that staff, Dabo was on the Gene Stallings staff, but he was the young guy and he literally got the coffee. And at the end of the practice, you'd go up in the coaches' offices and you'd go, there'd be an hour where you could go talk to whatever coach you'd want. Knock on the door, go sit down, interview the coach, da 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 yada. And Dabo would be sitting there all alone. He'd be sitting there, big old smile on his face. He'd walk, oh, hey, Mike, do you want to come in and talk to me? And I'd go, nah, that's all right. Because what did Dabo know back then? That's what I thought, right? Now, Dabo is ingenious. Dabo brought Woody McCorvey, who was then the Alabama coordinator there. And Dabo has become one of the most accomplished coaches in college football. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the cool thing about Dabo Sweeney is he is the same guy now as he was in 1994 and 1995. And when I went there for a spring game two years ago, he said, get on the field. You ain't got to stand over there. And then he said, come on in the locker room. Because he knows I've already been in that locker room. He knows I've heard the speech that he's going to give because it's the same speech Gene Stallings gave 25 years ago. Dabble Sweeney's a cool guy, man. But my point is this. At one point, Dabble was a newcomer that was learning and absorbing everything. And it took him years and years and years to get to the point where he is now, where he's a first ballot Hall of Fame coach. Probably one of the top three or four coaches in college football. I'd say for sure. You could make the case top three for sure, easily. I, in fact, I would say there's no way he's not in the top three, if not the top two. Look what he's done at Clemson, okay? So off the Dabo Sweeney uh, soapbox, but my point is this. All these coaches start somewhere, 
And I don't know what level Billy Napier was at when he coached under Nick. He wasn't where Kirby was at. Okay. Kirby was a central figure to the building of the Alabama program. I'm not saying Nick Saban doesn't deserve the lion's share of the credit. Not even going to say Nick Saban couldn't have won championships without Kirby, but Kirby was an integral piece. Kirby was a cornerstone piece. Kirby was the top recruiter and Kirby was the guts of that defense. And Nick did a nice job and Nick still does a great job, but Kirby smart was a big part of that Alabama success, a much bigger part than Billy Napier. And I would suggest to you that Kirby Smart was more prepared to coach in the SEC than Billy Napier. Now, we'll wait and see because Florida, let me tell you, they're throwing the bank at, the, at everything. I was down there for the Spurrier banquet. Those Gators are excited. They've hired 100 people that did just what Kirby did. That's why I said Nick Saban starter kit. They're following a blueprint. Okay. Now, you still got to be able I saw Derek Dooley try to follow the blueprint at Tennessee. Okay, I saw Mark D'Antonio successfully do it. So I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done not so well. To Dooley's, uh, you know, to 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 give you some testimony to him, they were under probation from Lane Kiffin or and investigation whatnot made it very hard for Derek. But just hiring somebody off the Saban coaching tree does not guarantee success. Now, what will help Florida is that we are in the Wild West with NIL and one-time transfers. They can get good real fast. You saw Tennessee make a jump last year. Will Tennessee make another jump? I don't know the answer to that question, but last year they made a jump. I would say defenses will have a better idea what to expect from Josh Heupel. I still think the Vols are dangerous, right? I think Florida could be dangerous. I don't think they're going to be ready yet. But anyway, that's where the Nick Saban starter kit comment came from. Maybe maybe they put it together and it flies. The model airplane flies. But my point is, who is Billy Napier other than a former Nick Saban assistant? That's all I'm saying. Uh, do you think Kirby is, repu- is developing a reputation of hard recruiting five-star QBs uh, only to try and find the Stetsons in the Rudy movie story of life? I, um, the Stetson Bennett thing, you know, I have to be careful with this because I, I just think it's complicated. I'm just, I'm just going to say it's complicated. It's complicated. It's complicated. So uh, I, I don't think that that's necessarily Kirby's intent, but how we got to where we're at is I just say it's like, like anybody that's been in a complex relationship, you just kind of throw your hands up and say it's complicated. And that's what I would say right now about the Georgia quarterback situation is it's complicated. Uh, Mike, are you saying Dabo does not big time you, even though you snubbed him when he was a nobody? Well, Hugh, it wasn't that I snubbed him. It was just that I recognized that Dabo was in his first or second year as a coach, and he maybe didn't have as much to offer in terms of his experience as, as somebody like, um, you know, uh, Bill Brother Oliver, who was on that staff, or, uh, you know, a, a, a grizzled veteran like an Ivy Williams that had coached in the NFL and was their top recruiter, or uh, even Mike Dubose, who would be the next head coach. Uh, and, and spend a lot of time with him. It was just the stage of his career that he was in. The point I was making is he doesn't big time anybody. Dabo Sweeney and, and so many of these coaches, you see him on TV and you wonder if that's the real life version of the person. And Dabo is authentic. And a lot of people have questioned that. Oh, is this guy just, no, no, that's who he really is. He is genuinely a great human being. He's got a great story. I don't know how deep any of you have dug into Dabo Sweeney and his personal life and, and how he made it. But but I can tell you him and his mom, his mother lived with him in Bryant Hall when he was there. OK, he came from a very difficult 
situation. And he's very much a self-made guy, but he's very genuine in everything that he says. Um, all the people are going, Mike, we've heard enough of Clemson. Yeah, I know. But but I got Dabo is a really cool guy. Really, uh, really enjoyed knowing him and and really happy for him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, poor little Clemson. Hey, that's the card they like to play there, right? Um, what else do we got here? Let me see what other questions you guys have for me before I go. I want to wrap this up in the next couple minutes. I, I don't want to cheat anybody if you got any questions. My projected starters on the offensive line, I think you go Broderick Jones, Xavier Trust, Cedric Van Pran, Warren McClendon, and we'll see if Tate's back. I don't know when he's going to be back from that foot injury. Uh, if he's back and when he's 100, I think he's there. I think he was the best run blocker when he got hurt on the fifth or sixth play of the season. But I think Warren Erickson um, – Warren Erickson looks good. I mean, there's a reason he was a team captain. He's a he's a bright guy. I mean, half the half of the job is knowing your assignment and being assignment and technique sound. You could argue that there's someone who's more physical or bigger or stronger than Warren, and that's fine. But if they're not carrying out their assignment and they're not assignment sound and their technique's not good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What else we got here? I'm going to scroll back through here. This gets dangerous because sometimes people write mean things. Uh, Brock has been in Munkin's system for a year. He is bigger, stronger, faster. But again, uh, all I can do is tell you that that quarterback is three-dimensional chess. It's it's like being an airplane pilot. You've got to think in different dimensions, and repetition is important. I remember Homer Smith. There, there was a great football coach named Homer Smith. And, and Homer uh, wrote some books on offense, and he was on the Alabama staff. He was one of those guys you would sit and, and talk with and speak with at length. And Homer used to talk about quarterbacks, and this was, gosh, this is even before Microsoft, but he would talk about quarterbacks having to be able to see receivers in windows. In their brain, they had to be able to know receiver one, two, three, and four and have a snapshot of where each receiver was on every play and, and like they were in different windows. And that was how he would try to teach his quarterbacks to compartmentalize and break down this information. Imagine you're throwing in at, at different windows and that timing and that knowledge, just clean this off here. That timing and that knowledge is, you know, it, it takes reps. You've got to not only know your where everybody's supposed to be and think, you know, be able to, you know, basically see the chalkboard in front of you as you go back to pass. You have to be able to see these roots materializing. But then your receiver has to actually run it as it's designed. And you've got to be able to calculate the arm strength and the velocity to the timing of the receiver and also how the defense is playing not just the man on him, but where the safety might go or where the linebacker might drop. There's so many different decisions that get made on the fly. This is complex stuff. I mean, sometimes we'll watch it. Oh, look at that. He just threw it right to the other guy. If only it was that simple. It's extremely complicated and it takes time. It's tough. You can say, oh, Mike, you're making it harder. You're throwing and catching, man. That's all it is. That's not all it is. If they were stationary targets, that'd be one thing. But everybody's moving, right? And then on top of it, you're a human being. You have feelings. You have thoughts. There's potential distractions. How do you respond to pressure? How prepared are you for the moment? How do you feel physically? Is there an injury we don't know about? You saw JT in that Clemson game. Didn't look like he was cutting it loose. 
Well, it turned out he's wearing a flak jacket and he was screwed up because Jalen Carter blasted him through Brett Seether on a scrimmage. We never knew it. They hid the injury. You never really know. Stetson a couple times. I saw him holding his wrist. Could that have affected him against Alabama in the SEC time? You just don't know. You don't know what you don't know. And a lot of times when coaches make decisions, this is what I've learned. I, I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the room. The coach is always smarter than me. I'm going to say that. Coaches make decisions, and I'll go, man, I don't get that. 99 times out of 100, they know something I don't know. And you go, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because he's got all the info, and we know. Now, again, Georgia quarterbacks, this is something I'll admit. I think there's something different levels of things going on at once. But 99 times out of 100, that coach understands what's going on and has a lot of knowledge and a lot of information that we don't have. Listen, folks, I am going to call it a night. This has been a fun show, a fast show, a furious show. I hope you've had a chance to read my coverage on Dog Nation. I hope all of you follow me on Twitter, at Mike Griffith 32 at Mike Griffith 32 I need all the followers I can get. I'm just going to tell you, I need Georgia followers because these Florida fans, these Alabama fans, they come after me, and I can't mute all of them. So I need a Georgia fan every now and then to jump in there and go, wait a minute, here's what Mike's trying to say. And, uh, and beyond that, if you have a question, you can send me a direct message on Twitter, and I'll answer you. I'm also in our Dog Nation forum. I hope all you guys have our app. We have an app for Dog Nation. Um, where you can read our website. And then we have the Dog Nation Forum where you can go in there. It's like our message board and it gets gets pretty heat. I'm recognizing some of these names. I'm kind of starting to figure out where everybody's coming from. And then also, I, if you've looked on our Dog Nation homepage, this is really happening. I was thinking about this today. There's going to be a Dog Nation cruise. Did you know about the Dog Nation cruise? I'm going to, I've never been on a cruise. I'm a little worried about it. Um, I'm a little claustrophobic to be honest with you, um, somebody that needs to sit in the window seat on the airplane. I need that. Okay. And I think it started when I was airborne and we would load up in those C-130s and there were no windows, at least none that I remember. Our backs were to the wall and facing in, or we were on the interior of the aircraft facing out. Right. So we didn't sit like a regular airplane. We sat with our backs to the side, you know, the front of the airplane was that way. And we're looking at each other, two rows, right? And when that plane went up, there was only one way out, and that was out one of them back doors, okay? And when the green light came on, we were jumping on that DZ. There was a big buildup. There was a lot of anticipation. And it wasn't until you jumped and sometimes got sucked out if you're on a 141 jet. It wasn't until you exited that aircraft and that two and a half or three seconds went by and your 35-foot static line deployed. Once the chute opened, that was relief, Okay. Now I get on an airplane. There's no parachute. There's no door to jump out of. I'm stuck on that plane. So I think like psychologically, I've kind of got this built up, you know. So that's why I think I need the, the, the window to look out and, you know, distract myself during the flight. So here I am on a cruise. I'm on a cruise now. There's no way off of this boat. I'm a pretty good swimmer, but I'm not swimming from the Bahamas to the United States. So I, now, of course, nothing's going to happen. 
I will say this, our boss, BJ Sweeney, who will also be on the cruise, you will get to meet the top dog of Dog Nation, BJ Sweeney, along with Brandon Adams and Jeff Sintel, uh, did get us cabins with balconies. Because And thank goodness, because that is going to, apparently that makes all the difference in the world. That's coming up the end of this month. If you haven't signed up for the Dog Nation cruise and you're wondering how to spend April 25th through 29th, that would be a really cool way to do it. And uh, that's how I'm going to do it, my first cruise ever. So uh, tomorrow night, Connor and coverage. Wednesday night, you know, good old Jeff Centel and his Centel's Intel on Before the Hedges. And then every day at 10 a.m., you've got Dog Nation Daily. I want to thank Michael Carvel. He's produced this show from vacation. He's probably seen enough of it and ready to get back to his family. Michael, thanks for producing the show tonight. And everyone, thanks for joining me tonight on our Ingles on the Beat show. And I will see you later this week.